Welcome back, everyone. It's Brian Tuck, your host. This is Creator Confidential, and we are recording. I almost said filming because, good Lord, we talk a lot of film in this episode. We are recording this podcast at our new headquarters in beautiful Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, and I really am psyched to bring the podcast back. I have a handful of episodes coming down this being the first one, and what you're about to hear is a really wide-ranging discussion with screenwriter, actor, and filmmaker Angela Shelton, and we really get um, an insider's view of how the film business works from the standpoint of getting a project made from, you know, from screenplay to distribution, and this is part of the industry that a lot of hopeful screenwriters or hopeful filmmakers don't get to see. So if you're, uh, if you're involved in film at all, or you want to be involved in film, this is the episode to check out. So without any further delay, here we go. Angela Shelton. You're listening to Creator Confidential with attorney, author, and musician, Brian Tuck. Brian's legal practice is focused on arts and entertainment law, startups, nonprofits, and faith-based organizations. To learn more, visit tucklaw.com on the web. Creator Confidential starts now. Make the fighting art form instead of just a brawl. That's what you do, brother. It's your time to own the canvas. You're an artist. What's he in for? Robbed the house after he just turned 18. Got 40 years. He don't know what free is. You think he'd hold up against a pro heavyweight? There are pros out there that don't have what you have. You got a lot of what I don't got. They're free. How'd you like to be? He broke his damn jaw. He broke his jaw. Joy, these men are offering you freedom. Every time a white man promised something, they come with a catch. You would turn down winning the gold for the United States of America? You know, of all sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are what might have been. You go after You don't know anything. I know why he hates. I do not get how you can still be a believer after all we've been through. This is romance, dog. That's what you are, George. A romantic. Our guest today is filmmaker, screenwriter, actor. You've got a lot of, you've got a lot of titles. <laughs> the, the great Angela Shelton. Angela, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you. An awesome meeting you too. Likewise. Um, I, I first learned of you uh, through a mutual friend and I saw you speak at Penn State a while back and you know, I was like everyone in the audience. I was just kind of sitting back, you know, recognizing uh, what a force you are. And I think that's probably the best uh, word, or at least from <laughs> from the audience's perspective, um, to describe you because you're in a very, very difficult business. Uh, it's it's incredibly tough to get films made and and financed, and there are so many elements that have to come together. 
Um, oh my god, yeah. Why don't we why don't we start present day and then we can work backwards a little bit. Your your recent film is entitled Heart Baby. Mhm. Why don't you tell us what the film's <laughs> about? Oh wow. Oh, it's a true story about a prison boxer who was offered freedom to fight in the 1984 Olympics and he said no. That's the short answer. <laughs> so so th- this and the, go ahead i'm sorry and the very very long answer is it's a it's a complex look into the you know into humanity that is trapped inside of a box which happens to be a prison what was the what was not that this is incidental to the story but just so we have some context so um this gentleman is in prison for how for how long of a period of time uh, he got 40-year sentence when he had just turned 18 for robbing a house. Um, it was his third strike, um, and he was a black man in Tennessee in 1978. And so he got 40 years. It's, I mean, that in itself is a movie, but, I mean, that's not really what the movie is about. And um, it's a it's it's a heartbreaking story. Um, George Lee Martin is, is his name. He was a uh, he became a prison box. He, he became a boxer inside, and he'd had a pretty rough childhood. And the things he went through explain um, why he became a boxer in prison. You know, and very much like myself, like I have a lot of history and like some abusive past and. And there's a reason I made a prison boxing movie <laughs> at the core of my psyche. You know, people meet me, they're like, oh, you're like this funny white chick that made this like really intense prison boxing movie. I'm like, yeah, it's called Rage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I see you had you approach things with a great deal of humor, though. You know, I, I see pictures of you on on whether it's on Instagram or or whatever, where you you know you might have a T-shirt on that says you know I'm smiling, but I've already killed you three times in my head, you know <laughs> that kind of stuff. It's true. It's true. But it, well, I mean, I I have to live, right? So my definitely humor has kept me alive. Humor and faith, I would say, has definitely kept me going. Let's talk about the process of getting the film from concept you, you wrote the screenplay right yes so let's talk about the process from screenplay to premiere and i know that's that's a whole hours long discussion but you know generally i've i've got people that i talk to who are trying to figure it out they yeah. might have an idea maybe they've made some short films in in their past and they've got some technical you know, facility to make films, but they don't know. They're a little bit daunted by the fact that they're, you know, you're kind of out on an Island trying to get something made and persuade everybody in your orbit to help you. Yeah. (laughs) And you're always, you have to find the way in, you know, you have to find the way to crack into the, the club, if you will. And it used to be through film festivals. But now it's hard to even crack into the club via film festivals, just FYI. That changed in like around 2004. Because um, like with my first film, I'm backtracking since you asked that about people that are looking for, you know, how do you do it? You've got this great screenplay or you think it's great. You hope it's great. And like how to get it made is you need money. That would be the number one thing. <laughs> you need money and you need a good producer unless you're going to do it and learn how to produce. And then um, – you ultimately, ideally, need to get into Hollywood unless you – nowadays, you can go straight to YouTube and Google Play and all these other outlets by using your own um, aggregates to get on to, uh, to get to the audience. So there's, there's that new way to reach audience, which is great. Um, but really, uh, for, it's about money and also uh, how to get it to a distributor somehow to the audience. And, um, I had written this screenplay and luckily I, I love it so much. I mean, I, I think you have to love your own work. Otherwise, why in the world are you doing it? Um, and I luckily from my youth had had some 
two really, really powerful mentors in my life who also um, were very, very high in Hollywood, in the land of Hollywood. I mean, like, you know, 68 Academy Awards and things like that. Um, one of them has since passed away, and that's who I made my second movie about, The Eagle and the Albatross. I made it. I, it was a kind of a, a tribute to him. And the other one is still very much alive, and I had sent him the script, and he goes, wow, uh, you have gold here. Um, my advice to you is keep your head down. Don't tell anybody but what you're doing. Do not come to Hollywood for money because the first thing they're going to do is try to kick you off the project because you, I was like, are a female? He's like, exactly. I'm like, damn. And uh, he goes, just go and raise the money like you did on your documentary. I'm like, oh, it takes so long. <laughs> he goes, well, otherwise you, you know, you're going to have to hand it over and they're going to change the story. They're, um, there's a lot of elements in Heart Baby that, break molds and and break uh you know jump over boundaries and break rules and but that's what I'm all about and uh and so this my mentor had said to me um go raise the money independently make it and then try to get in the festivals I was like all right so then there's you know you got to go raise the money and much like I did with my documentary uh you have to go to the people you know and you know, that's your friends and your family and you beg and you right. plead and and you cry <laughs> and, and uh, you beg, really. Uh, for my documentary, I threw a party. That's how I raised most of the money. Um, and luckily, some very, my family and also my friends were like, this is an amazing script. And at the time, we all thought that the film festivals were a way to get in. I since have learned that it did change in 2004 where um, a lot of agents are now on the boards of film festivals because they realize that that's how, you know, that's a gateway. Mm -hmm. And so now unless you're with one of the big agencies, and I know there are always ways to break the rules and there's always ways to dig underneath the wall, if you will. <laughs> um, but uh, nowadays it really is like you, you need to be in the big agencies. And then that's a whole other catch 22 like how do you get an agent you can't get an agent until you're making money well how do you make money until you have mon movies that are that are selling and how do you have seven movies that are selling until you can actually make it and how can you make it until you have an agent <laughs> it's it's a it's a constant catch 22 and still i mean i have three new projects that are sitting on my desk right now at various levels of um budgets and or needs and um it always boils down to okay Where's the money going to come from? Well, and this is not unlike, you know, th thinking of a, of a film as a startup business where yeah. your first round of outside financing often is, you know, there's, it's called the friends and family round in the legal, in legal circles for a reason, because that's where entrepreneurs who are, are right at ground zero, right at the startup, period, um, need to acquire some seed funding. And from that point forward, then you start trying to identify the, the prominent, you know, venture capitalists or angel investors, how, whatever you want to call them for those people to take you to, you know, from square one to square two or three, as you move that business forward. I mean, I know a lot of people that are are at the, you know, sub six figure target and they're trying to figure out how to do that without, without going, you know, a crowdfunding route or, or something like that, where you really need something that resonates with a lot of people in order to pull that off. I think that's probably more the exception than the rule. Um, you know, like you said, you need to be able to identify who those people are those 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 investors and then you need a way to get into the club so to speak yeah i mean it goes back to when i when you met me and i was speaking at penn state i was speaking to those young filmmakers about like if you really want to raise money you need to go play golf <laughs> and i say that jokingly but it's really it's really true like or, or you go to a yacht club or like you know befriend people who actually have the means to help you you're not going to be smoking weed in your garage Raising money for your movie. 
Probably, you know what I mean? Probably not. <laughs> no. Probably not. Uh, it seems a lot more establishment than I would have originally thought hearing you describe it. Establishment. Yeah, well, oh, you mean fighting the establishment? Well, meaning... Or, meaning not fighting, sneaking in, somehow getting in there. Yeah, you know, <laughs> kind of, um, for lack of a better term, there's a lot, there are, there are still gatekeepers in a very real sense... Oh yeah. In film where in other endeavors, whether it's publishing, uh, you know, novels or plays or something like that, or music, that's not the case. Anybody can get anything seen or heard. It's, it's the issue of trying to monetize it and get some return on your work so you can continue doing what you, what you love to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, me and my investors all, all thought that we were in the realm back when, like when we were with Tumbleweeds and that was my first movie that I wrote and we sold it at Sundance. It was one of the biggest sales ever at Sundance. And we thought that, oh, that's just what'll ha- happen to Heart Baby too, because it's, you know, everyone for the most part, they're like, oh my God, I've never seen anything like this is what m- most audience members react to Heart Baby in a very like, uh, awe-stricken, I've never seen anything like this before, in a good way. And so we thought, yay for us. And then I had a I had a couple publicists ask me, well, who's your agent? I'm like, I don't have any. I did have an agent before I did my documentary, but then I went off and I was on the road for a, a decade, and I've come back and they're like, oh, now you're old. <laughs> so at first I was told I was too young to direct when I was 22. And then now I'm, I've, I've heard a handful of times from a variety of different people, oh, you're too old now. Which I'm like, I refuse to believe stuff like that. I'm like, tell me you can't do something and I'm, I'm going to be already climbing the mountain when, before you even finish the sentence, right? <laughs> but, yeah. but I'm, I still, it saddens me that you just, there's so many roadblocks and you could have as much talent, you could be oozing talent, but you have to also back that up with tenacity and determination and a really, really thick skin, you know, because you hear it all the time. And and then now the movie is finished and I'm very happy with it. I love it. And I definitely have, we as a cast, my whole cast and crew are very dedicated to it and we have a, a lot of people who are very, very supportive of it. But then you still hear things of like, oh, it's too Christian. That's why you're not getting anywhere. Because, I mean, I did – I sort of made a Christian movie that was in prison. <laughs> but I never labeled it like that because I let the audience label it. And then some people say, oh, no, that's not a Christian movie. That's a prison reform movie. Oh, no, that's an LGBT rights movie. I'm like, it's all of those things. It's like life. How can you – it's like how can you sum up – where you are in the beginning of this conversation, you'd said, Oh, you know, you've been through so much, but yet you're so, you're always uh, laughing and, and putting out the humor. It's like, we're, we're complex humans, right? So it's, I have rage and I have happiness and I'm joyful. And I'm also like, um, it's like being in the middle of a seesaw and it's kind of like, that. Of just how hard it is. And then you run up against sharks and snakes and charlatans. <laughs> oh my God. And then, you know, you're trying to get your way into the, into the castle again. Like I used to be in the castle and, and, and when I was younger and I'd done tumbleweeds with a big fancy agent and the mm-hmm. manager and the PR firm. And, and then I'm, I do sadly tend, well, I don't know if it's sadly, I tend to lean towards the, naive, I'm going to help save the world and be a do-gooder. <laughs> like, and then, you know, I get smacked of like, oh, well, that's silly. But I just, I remain, I, I just, I don't think you're ever going to take that away from me. And even my, I had somebody the other day tell me, you know, you're just too nice and you care too much about people. I'm like, is that a bad thing? <laughs> like, those are the movies that I want to make too. Like, I want to, you know, I have the stack that's on my desk right now. It's all, they're all very, very different, kind of like uh, you know, humans, but they all have a through line of good people fighting good battles. You know, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind that people are complicated or complex. Yes. Complicated has a very negative 
uh, connotations. So let's say yeah, complex. Com- let's say complex. Yeah. That's a much uh, more mysterious word. And and you know, it's it's really. I gotta admit, it's really disheartening to watch the news or to listen to people being interviewed on, you know, mostly mostly news sites uh, where everyone seems to apply labels to one another. And then that's the oh, yeah. only thing they see. In other words, um, you know, this person is nuts because they are, uh, you know, they are a libertarian or they're a Democrat or they're a Republican, you know, pick one. It doesn't really matter. Um, and, and that's all that people can see or it seems it seems to me that way that sort of our society is really going that way and it's tough because you know i can i can watch a film or a play or read a novel and maybe i don't agree with what the hero is doing or you know with some element of the story but i can still appreciate quality you know, if it's well done, well conceived, well executed. And it seems like that kind of critical thinking or evaluation is really falling by the wayside. And I, I mean, I don't have the answers. I don't, you know, I don't know what people can do about that um, other than keep, <laughs> other than keep talking, you know, try to keep some public debate going and try to be civil uh, with one another about oh. it. Oh, God. Well, actually, there was another speaker at the Penn State event, um, Lauren, um, and she's taught, she's a critic, an actual Broadway critic, and she had her whole talk was about um, how there are no critics anymore, or the real critics are being kind of swallowed because everyone's a critic, because everyone has a Twitter. <laughs> if everyone's a and critic, the, then no one's a critic, right? Yeah, exactly. There's not, you're not coming from an educated place and not that i mean i don't want to say like i'm educated because i i dropped out of school um and i'm making movies (laughs) but i i went i want to go back to what you said about the labels um it's really really true and i just was in la for a week on a ton of meetings with a bunch of producers and various because i've a couple different projects like i mentioned but one guy who's been in the business forever um producer i have a lot of respect for and he used to actually be an agent and he said to me, he's like, do you want representation? I was like, well, yeah, of course, I'm not dumb. <laughs> and uh, he goes, well, can I give you some advice? I was like, of course, always. I can hear anything. I might not agree with it, but I, I could hear it. I'm listening. And he said, the thing with you, he's like, your movie, like Heart Baby is so complex with so many, It's got, it's got one theme and it like kind of branches off into all these themes. I was like, yeah, like life. And he goes, and then you made a golf comedy. And now I'm looking at a science fiction script and I'm like, wait, what? And he goes, agents only think in very thin, very like, I have to put them in a box. So if I have, this is my comedy writer and I'm going to pitch them for the comedies. And this is my, um, you know, drama writer. And this writer writes for 13 year old girls. Like I got put in when right after Tumbleweeds came in, everybody thought I was going to write for 13 year old girls. I was like, whoa. No, I'm going to do a prison boxing movie. <laughs> and he goes, so you have to find, like, what is your box? I was like, well, I think we both know that I don't really fit in a box. He goes, but there's got to be some, like, some kind of label you put on your truck with lots of boxes. I was like, there's one through line that every one of them has a, a similar trait, that they all have some kind of faith. And it's it's really me because every movie to my is a sermon kind of to myself, mm-hmm. and I'm the one that doesn't believe always. I'm the one that's like the rebel that's like God, prove it. Brr. And so my movies kind of everything I write is has has that in it. And my editor, one of my editors, had told me, you know what, every director makes the same movie. I was like, well, if, in my case, it would be a faith movie, a questioning faith, renewing faith, like. Do you have faith? What does faith mean? Um, and so this producer said, he goes, that's it. Now, if you can put a label on yourself that you make faith-based movies, then all of a sudden you can talk to an agent. I'm like, wow. 
But I don't really make just faith-based movies. He's like, shut up, shut up. <laughs> he goes, you have to stay within some kind of label. I was like, man, all right. That's fascinating. But I mean, it's, I think that that's valuable information for somebody coming into the world. Um, you know, what do they do? You know, and a lot of filmmakers, most every single one I know, the young ones that are trying to break in and do their first movie, all of them, uh, actually, I can say literally all of them are doing a horror movie. Why horror? Because I think that's the cheapest way to break in. And you can shoot it in your backyard with, you know, with one camera and everybody's trying to get their Blair Witch on, you know. <laughs> but that, like there's this one filmmaker team down south that I they have this movie that is so cute and adorable and I'm begging to produce it I was like I I usually only want to actually produce because it's such a hell um something that I wrote that but this is just so wonderful and so cute and I was like I just I bug them all the time like you ready now what about now what about now and like well we just really want to practice we want to make a horror movie I'm like oh damn it (laughs) so I think a lot of that uh, well, and you, and you can, I suspect, be a victim of your own success in a way, because if the first thing you do, like, let's say you're not really, you do a horror film because of the reasons that you've just outlined. And let's say it's a, a hit all of a sudden that you nobody expected. Well, all of a sudden, that's what you're going to be getting offered. And that's, right. I mean, those are the kinds of projects you're going to... um work on, you know, maybe whether you like it or not until you can exercise some degree of control over your career. It's it in, you know, in other service um, businesses, it can be like that. Like in the legal profession, for example, if you get hired as a, you know, a bankruptcy lawyer at a firm, it becomes very, very difficult to break out of that and, you know, some people take jobs because they that's the only offer they have, maybe, or whatever the circumstances may be. And all of a sudden they're in this track that they did not uh, necessarily want or or seek out. It just kind of happened to them. And it's it becomes very tough the further down that road you go to break out of it, I think. Oh, yeah. And I don't want anything to do with horror movies personally. So <laughs> what what's that? <laughs> And I don't want to make horror movies personally, but well, maybe then you have to go go back and look at like what you want to put out there in the world. Like, what's your you know what's your series of paintings that you're leaving the world with? Do you think that there's any way? I think I already know the answer, but <laughs> I, I think I know what you're going to say. But you know, how can a young filmmaker get? a short film or, or even a few, you know, let's say they want to do a feature length film. They've raised, let's say they raised $200,000 through local people. Wow. Then make a feature, not a short. And they make a feature. (laughs) How do they control their own destiny in terms of what happens next? Or can they being, you know, realistically, uh, sure, they can. Make sure that you have your copyright, and you copyright it with the government, not just the Writers Guild. It's $55. And um, make sure you have, all, like, deliverables are so important, and many filmmakers don't even know what that is. What um, is I was actually... So what... Deliver- talk to me about that. What, it, what, is, what is a deliverable in, your, in that context? Um, deliverables are your copyright, your chain of title. So like wh- whose idea was this? Did you come up with the idea? Is it based on an idea? If it is based on another idea, do you have the rights to it? Is it signed? Do you have a contract with them? Um, I would definitely have a, an LLC. Don't do it through yourself. You know, you have an LLC for, with the name of your movie. Right. Um, you're going to, right. You're going to form a corporation or an LLC to specifically hold title to the creative property just like yeah. you, just like you would if you were developing an office building, you know, that would be a standalone corporation that owns that economic activity. Yeah. But then I would do a step further. I mean, you're the lawyer, but I I would suggest um you, you personally own the movie and you have done a deal with the LLC. So just in case you ever run into a a shark and a charlatan and a piece of 
crapo that you can um, you still have the control of the copyright. And then you license it. You license the copyright to whoever, you know, distributor, or you do it yourself. Um, but going back to deliverables, which if you get a deal with anybody, like even if it's you go straight to Amazon and you have to go through one of these aggregator now, so they have these old, like, distributor, however you say that, distributor, is one of them where um, they'll get you on Google Play and all these other outlets, you still have to have your deliverables and the deliverables are the, all the paperwork and the actual media. So you need like, um, your, your sound mix on a different layer than not married to your movie. Uh, it has to be a different, um, M&E, uh, it's called. And, um, so that's, so when they send it to foreign, they can, uh, dub it or, um, do subtitles there's um oh god i can like look literally i'll just pull up my file of like deliverables right now and i'll just read them off to you because it's so um you need all the digital photographs that you took on set ideally you took them and if you didn't you better do that (laughs) hire a set photographer it's so important all your artwork your poster artwork any kind of social memes biographies of anybody that's in the movie or made the movie your press kit a synopsis, your billing block, and who you have a um, contractually obligated to put in your little billing block. It's like me, for example, Heart Baby is a huge cast. I mean, there's 250 people and over almost 60 speaking parts. There's 59 speaking parts, which is kind of unheard of, which is also why it was expensive. Um, And many times agents will say with various actors that they have to be in the billing block. So that means that they appear on the poster. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and then so when you're dealing with a cast that large, it's like, well, okay, no, <laughs> you, can't, you can't have like a four page billing block. It's like, who's going to win their place on the poster? Um, you need closed caption files. You need a continuity script, um, which is that you have to have a, um, a script analysis. There's a, I can find it later. It's called Hollywood Script Reporter, I think it's called, where it's like a hundred bucks. It, 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 it fluctuates. It's either sometimes it's a hundred bucks, sometimes I think it was a thousand, where they read through your script and find out did you um, use any real names you're not supposed to? If you did use them or they passed away, um, did you insult anyone? You know, did you use the brand name somewhere and you're not supposed to? Um, you have to have a, a TV clean certificate, which I. I'm just learning about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think Heart Baby is going to be very clean for right. anything. It was like a lot, a lot, a lot of curse words in Heart Baby. Um, your main titles, your end titles, all of your agreements and your contracts. Like you have to have a contract for every single person that you even look at has to have a contract. Music cue sheets, music licensing, your score sheet, like so that goes to. Um, gets reported to BMI and ASCAP and Mm -hmm. it's like all these things that you just, it it really puts you into the world. You have to be a business person. This, and this is why you want ideally a producer unless that's going to organize and, and do all this stuff, you know, or you have to like me, you have to, Oh God, you have to jump off the cliff and just do it yourself. You know, you need all your copyright. You need all the, like it, the footage and the stills, like I've seen some filmmakers that just like use footage from old TV shows. <laughs> it's like, um, you can't do that because <laughs> you have to pay for that. You know, you right. can't just or, shoot. Or you're going to hear about it from someone <laughs> later after, oh, yeah, you, after you publish. It. It, That's right. When you going back to something you meant, just mentioned, did you have, did you spend any energy on shooting alternate takes of scenes that if there was profanity in, you know, sometimes productions do that where there's a TV version and then there's a theatrical version or did you not, or was that not on, on the agenda? With heart baby? No, because it's a prison movie in the eighties and I, you know, those guys are never going to go, Oh, you fudge. <laughs> right, right, right. You know right. what I mean? It's yeah. like not going to happen. It just wouldn't be believable. So with that, 
it's just not believable even remotely. But um, I suppose you could silence it, like for TV, it would be very, very quiet, <laughs> you know, because bleeping would just not work. It would be too annoying. Right. But uh, but you could just silence moments. That would be kind of funny. But for Heart Baby, it's like I knew that's going to be an R. There's no way that movie's not going to be an R. It's just like, come on. But that said, I also have had lots and lots of church, church groups come to that movie, and they're like, oh, my God, that's the most beautiful film. And I'm like, really? Did did the language bother you? And they're like, no, because it served a purpose, just like the violence. The violence wasn't just gratuitous just to have violence. There was there was a, 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 mean, a, a very definite reason that the violence was in there, and I tried to respect it. You know, I didn't. There's a couple scenes that I don't want you to have to look at that. I, but you need to know that that happened, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was respectful of, like, the, you know, dealing with the violence in a, yeah, in a way that's not going to make you hold yourself <laughs> and rock back and forth. <laughs> so, you, uh, so you had a very large cast for this production. How large was the crew that worked on the production with you? Or work for you because you're the boss. I, I was the boss. It's awesome, um, <laughs> but I, I don't. I don't act like the boss. I actually right. have a funny story about that. Um, about probably a hundred people. So here's another. 100? Here's another nuts and bolts question. Then, who is identifying and hiring all the crew members? Your producer. Like I, I luckily had a. I made my first AD also a producer, which was not a good idea in hindsight. And she knows that she and I have talked about that. Like she, it was just, she, it was like too much control for an, an AD to have, which is your assistant director. Who's like your commander of the actual set. Um, but she knew New Orleans and she knew crew that she trusted and liked. And so she basically brings them in. And then I'm ultimately the one that hires them. And, um, and like, for example, you have your DP, like your director of photography, he'll have all his people that he'll want, like his gaffer and, um, for the lighting and stuff. So usually each crew member kind of comes with their needs. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what I learned on my documentary, my very first film that I went out by myself to do, um, outside of tumbleweeds that I just, I directed and produced it. I learned very quickly that when you start a movie, the train leaves the station. And even if there's things you don't know will come next, it just naturally comes next. And you're like, Oh, we have to do this. Like, you know what I mean? Like you didn't realize you, you know, have to do so many other things. Like it's a, they show up like the post-production house will, will show up like whichever one you're going to use and, or, well, they'll, they'll find you. And, um, and then all the things you have to do, like, I didn't know anything about all that. Um, oh my God. And then, then that goes back to your deliverables, deliverables. You need, you know, your lab access letter. What the hell's that? You need, you know what I mean? You need all your metadata. You need a product placement disclaimer, certificate of origin. Um, those are the things that show up while the, because the, the train really does just leave the station and you're making a movie. Here we go. You didn't know what a grip was, did you? <laughs> this is quite an education that you you know, it sounds like to some extent you were you were learning, you know, it was a trial by fire uh for oh, lack yeah. of a better phrase um on on some the of first this stuff. One. Yeah, the documentary and I so I knew much more um because I'd been in it with documentary, but I mean, at my, I only had a crew of five on my documentary. Then I went into heart baby, which is, you know, we had like 25 trucks and it's a big, huge production. Uh, but again, like each department, uh, you know, comes with their own requirements. And so you learn as you go. And, but with, with, uh, with heart baby, I was so clear on my vision of it and and i think provided a great uh leader that to lead everyone to various departments because i really really knew what i wanted like i already had the movie in my head so well i mean i I mean there's a balance there like you have to i recommend having the movie 
fully envisioned and in your head and your heart, but be open to your actors and collaborating with your various uh, departments. But that said, you, I think, you know, you have a, you have to have a clear, clear vision, especially me coming in as a, as a female directing this like huge movie with all these men. Um, I had to have a clear vision. I naturally did, but I mean, I noticed that it worked well with people. The very few that did give me any grief, they're like, what are you doing? You know, I knew what I was doing. I knew what I wanted and I knew what I was doing. And yeah. And I became the boss. Well, I was the boss. (laughs) Right. Well, and you, you can't, it's, you know, it's just like anything else. You being over prepared is not the worst thing in the world. No. Because if you, if you go into any kind of uncertain, you know, any negotiation where, you know, any amount of uncertainty can become really problematic and that's how you lose leverage and, and may not get to where you want to go to. But if you're, you know, if you're really on top of every last detail, um, you know, when a question comes up, you can just hammer it and that's the end of, you know, that's the end of the, uh, the debate. That actually we did. That was the reason we were able to shoot this. We shot heart baby in 25 days. And the only reason we were able to do that is because me and my DP, um, Leo, my director of photography, um, had storyboarded it out with toys because I had had an issue with my storyboard artist, like w- literally like took the money and ran and never gave pictures. So that it's like, there's another little aside to filmmakers. There's always going to be an asshole. There's always an asshole, no matter what you do. And like, you're going to come up with, dif- with, with dilemmas. And that was a huge one of like, Oh crap. Like I, I need to storyboard this. Like, and so we know what e- we're doing with each scene. Um, but when we lost our, our storyboards, it just didn't show up. Um, my DP and I were kind of planning it ourselves, like drawing out some stuff. And I have a, I had an 18 month old at the time. She's now four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but she, she had all these little toys, like little like horses and pigs and stuff. And so well, I just grab some and I just, well, well, you know, George is here and doc is here. And, and, uh, and then he started working with me and, and mapping them out. And then we kind of looked at each other and we're like, wait a second, this is brilliant. Cause it's, it's 3d. And we got, had this moment, we looked at each other and we're like, let's go to the toy store. <laughs> so we ended up going to the toy store and eBay, eBay was, was great. Um, and getting all these little action figures and we ended up, we ended up having this humongous pile. Um, and that's when we learned that there are no, that the action figures are not diverse. It's horrible. Like where are the black, where are the black boys? Where are they? Cause I mean, hello, it's <laughs> my lead is a black guy. And, um, that was really, that's a whole other article right there. Like, where are the diverse toys? Um, so anyway, we got all these little um, toys and every actor had their own little toy. And we mapped out the entire movie, which that in itself is a story. And it's so, um, it was so helpful. And and at first the departments were kind of laughing at us because we had it all set up in the middle of the, in the middle of the production office with all these toys. And we just were so focused and they were like, what are you guys doing? You're crazy. And they were like, well, actually he made a, my DP built a, um, a true to form, like a, what's the, what's the term? It's not true to form. It's like a life size, not life size. It's like to scale. Cr- to scale, thank you. Yep. To scale, um, boxing ring and little dolly tracks and little cameras. So, cause when you, when you're filming in a prison, we can't just go hang out there and figure out how we're going to shoot it. Like we've got, we're able to have a scout one day, take some pictures and some measurements, and then we go home and back to the office and plot out our shots. And we ma- literally mapped out every single shot with toys. And then we used, um, Artemis. Artemis is a great app to get that I still am learning because I'm like, well, you know, learning about lenses and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we're able to take 3D storyboards of the of every single camera angle with this app and all these toys. And so that saved us a tremendous amount of time 
that is why we were able to do it 25 days. Because then we got, I mean, these big, huge scenes of these boxing matches. Like, for example, the one when, I mean, he shot, uh, George um, fought John Tate, the heavyweight champion, and it was the, everybody in the prison was there practically. And there's 300 people in that scene. And uh, we mapped it out every, every single movement. And so when the actors showed up, we showed them their little, toy which all of them appreciated and thought was funny some of them kept wanting them i'm like no they're mine (laughs) (laughs) and we showed them where they all moved and you know i thought for at first i was going to get a little bit of blowback because you know it's like with a rehearsal period and like maybe we feel like i i don't feel like walking over there i'm like no no you definitely feel you're going to feel that you're going to walk from this side to this side because when you walk this way, that make that means the camera's gonna start its move. It's like a dance. It's like literally theater. It was planning out theater. And it really did work. And it was it was something that came out of a pain in the butt, like of an adversity moment of like, okay, here we go. Here's our here's our um obstacle. What are we gonna do now? And then we ended up finding this whole new way to do things that is, I always want to do it now. I always want to have toys. It's like become a joke now with like each movie, like which toys we're going to use. <laughs> That's like the old to saying, pl- you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Yes, exactly. It, you know, how much, so you had, I would assume you had a fight coordinator or choreographer. Yes. Talk a little bit about, that because I think there's an extra, you know, kind of dimension of just safety, uh, obviously for the, for the performers that if, if that's not very carefully managed, uh, that, you know, that's how accidents happen. People, you know, might get punched by accident or, or, you know, or something like that. Oh yeah. Um, well I went to, I found the best fight coordinator in Hollywood. His name's Daryl Foster. He did Ali and Bleed for This and like every boxing movie that has great boxing in it. He was the dude. And I, um, I looked him up and I found him and I just called him up and I was like, Hey, um, I know I can't afford you, <laughs> but I really just asked that you read the script. That's all I ask is just read the script and, you know, see if you'd be interested. And luckily, he called me back, and he goes, I read it. I want, I'm in. He's like, I've never seen it. I've never read anything like this before. And so he and I worked on the direction of the fights themselves. So each fight has its own story, if you will, like that is part of the bigger story. Right. And, and then he just basically – I gave him full – carte blanche like that's all i need from you like now i'm gonna trust you because you obviously are the expert so i'm handing you my lead dude to go and train um so basically he learned dance moves essentially you know because when they're it's it really is a, a form of dance really and so they went off and and worked together and then he was on set for every fight scene and uh you know, going over the choreography and then being there to, you know, reiterate it and to make sure and rehearse it. And again, like you said, make sure, you know, you don't punch out my lead guy the first day. <laughs> yep. Actually, I fired one boxer because um, he didn't show up for the training because he was a real, like, famous boxer. And he goes, I don't need to do that training. I'm a boxer. And it's like, well, yes, you do, because it's Hollywood. It's not, it's not, you're not in a boxing match. Don't, you're not going to actually knock out my, my actor, you know? Um, I would hope not. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so luckily again, like luckily, like we ended up having a guy who I thought was actually way better. And so, and was an actor and a boxer. And so that worked out really, really well. Um, but that was another debacle, like things you just don't things you just don't foresee happening are probably going to happen. And dealing with the unions is very difficult from a producer. I mean, I'm a, I'm an actor myself, so I mm-hmm. love them on the actor side. That's great. But as a producer, it's like, Oh God, like the horrible, horrible. Like that boxer never showed up for training and his agent said he did. I'm like, 
<laughs> no, he didn't. He's like, nope, he showed up for work. You still have to pay him. And so then it goes into a, a battle with SAG, and SAG is always going to lean to, you know, side on the air, error on the side of the actor. Mm-hmm. Error was a big one in this one. And then there's negotiations. Well, you're going to have to pay him something. And so we didn't have to pay him his main fee, but we did end up having to pay him something, which was completely 100% not fair. And that's another, like, you have to do as a producer. It's like, oh, oh, my God. And another thing that filmmakers, if you're getting into the world with dealing with um, the unions and the SAG actors, is you have to give, which is most people don't realize, you have to actually give SAG 40% of your budget for your actors that they hold in escrow until in their own dis- discretion, some point during post-production, they give it back to you. Which means you have, you don't have 40% of your money, but you still have to keep making the movie, which means you're going to have to raise 40% more, ideally a loan usually, because there's right. companies that will do this. They'll give you a loan, which makes no sense to me. Why don't you just take that money and pay the actors right now? I could just, that was just so, there was always something that made absolutely no logical sense to me. And you're just scratching your head. You're like, wait, what? But you have to pay your editor and your post house and your, you know, the lights on. (laughs) Um, Nope, they're going to hold it until they think that you're completely done. It's really. um, So really your your labor costs for your actors, really, you need 140 percent. Yes. Of of your original number is what I'm hearing. Yep. Because you, you don't know how long they're going to hold it. Right. It, unless you had some, a post house that, you know, was like, oh, sure, we can not get paid. But I mean, who, you know, people need to be paid. I don't know many businesses they're... that can operate like that. That's <laughs> generally not exactly. the answer you get when uh, exactly. when you hire somebody. But see, like big studios don't it doesn't matter to them because they've got so many projects going at once that they've got, you know, their escrows held for one movie and it doesn't matter. They'll just float the budget for the post with, you know, all their other tons of money. But as a, as a little independent filmmaker, you're like, uh, I really, really, really need those (laughs) $3,000. Or in our case, it was a lot, a lot, a lot more than that. And they'll give it to you. I would just beg. I just call them and be like, I really want to pay people. All the actors have been paid already. Can I have some of that money back? And then they would like give, you know, chunks of it. They're like, okay, Angela, we'll, we'll wire you a chunk. I'm like, thank you, Mr. <laughs> Scary Union. <laughs> it's, uh, wow. It's like a balance. You have to be really, really nice mm-hmm. and kind and, and yet very firm to protect your own ass. Yeah. Because I've seen other films. I watched this other director at one point like get on the phone and just lose it with SAG. Like he was a red face yelling at them. I'm like, well, that's not going to get his. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to say, I don't, that probably did not get him very far. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's like, it's, it's funny. It's like, it goes back to being complex, right? So like on one hand you're crying and totally stressed out and your hair's falling out and you're like, and the other hand you're completely pissed off because it's like complete, like total, just unfair on so many levels, you know, but it doesn't matter. That's cause it's making movies. And then there's the joy of your, it's fun. It's making movies are fun. And then, you know, we all have that addiction when you get the addiction yep. and you're like, Oh God, I need my fix. I need my fix to make another movie. I don't know why you would do that. <laughs> do you, I mean, for some, the, the journey is the thing maybe not the end result is the thing, although I'm sure, you know, you're, you're proud of what you do. Uh, I mean, just hypothetically, not you specifically, but you know, I, I do know artists that whether it's making a record or workshopping, you know, a, a play they've written, you know, they really, the, the process resonates with them more than the finished product. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that's true. I think. Well, I'm. I. I really like Heart Baby. I, I'm very happy with it. So maybe I'm naive. <laughs> um, but my my favorite stage, besides actually shooting, because I really like 
the shooting process is the casting process. I love casting. It's so fun. Especially when you finally, like, the person walks in that you wrote. There's something just, there's a high that comes with that. You know, you're like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> and as an, a- as an actor, I also learned never take any of that stuff with casting personally because it literally could be because you're putting people together in your kind of like your painting and you need you know and this guy is like got super super blonde hair and it just doesn't look right next to this other dude you know well it, it's it, or this one's six seven and this guy's five nine it's just not gonna happen you know like, so there's very uh, there's stuff that's just completely not in your control. It has nothing to do with being a good actor or not. So that taught, like you know, there's constantly it's it's all a learning process for every department. Like even as an as, as an actor and a director, writer. Um, yeah. So what's next for you? What's what's on the horizon? Uh, I have three different projects on my desk that, that I would like to make one I might end up having to uh, let it go and let somebody else direct it because that's another lesson because in order to get it made because um, you know that's in the big studio world they're like well you're just that little girl <laughs> and now it's like you're that old girl and then I have um Another small one, like a really small budget movie that I'd like. And then I have another kind of heart baby-ish, um, another true story that's um, based overseas in Vietnam. So, that you know, I like to go big or go home. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's your hook. Maybe true, maybe true stories is your hook rather than, you know, that cuts across genres. It could be, you know. A, oh, that's true. a comedy it could be a drama it could be an adventure i don't know but it's a story yeah that's good yeah because you say it's tricky because you say certain words and people are like oh god don't want nothing to do with it <laughs> yeah faith, you know faith-based anything is tricky because <laughs> it 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 turns some portion of, of everybody off immediately, but it also energizes another segment of, um, of society quite a lot. So, you know, it's really, there's no right or wrong answer to this, but you have to know, I guess you have to know where your, where your audience is, where your followers are. I mean, I think that's part of the key, just like with any, you know, with any other business, you have to know who your ideal customer is. Like, who am I selling to? Is it, mm-hmm. is it young people? Is it married people? Is it single people? You know, whatever the good or, or services. So I think knowing who's following you is, is certainly important in every industry. It's true. Well, with Heart Baby, it just is, again, another one of those like head scratchers because it's people who don't speak to each other. My number one fan is a, white conservative male who served the military by far number one and then there is the lgbt side of uh because it has a very obvious uh, it has a very big story about trans in there of a transgender woman named crystal who was an inmate at the time and uh so it has that big following if you will Mm -hmm. but but less than the people you would think would hate it it's really it's one of those like real head scratchers but the people that are the biggest biggest fans they're the biggest fans if they don't know going in because if they knew going in they won't go correct but what but once they went they're like oh my god i love that movie i cried one navy officer said i cried twice in my life once when my mama died and once a heart baby (laughs) wow something you don't hear every day I know. I know. It's like those moments that are just the ones that like push me forward. I'm like, okay, I I got to that guy's heart. That's pretty cool. And opened his mind. And he wouldn't have even talked to me if I told him really, you know, all the different through lines in the movie. Mm -hmm. Oops. 
Yeah. So I don't. Yeah. So finding your audience that that's a whole nother. It's a whole nother show. <laughs> that is a whole nother show. Um, so for the people listening that want to see Heart Baby, how can they do that? Right now, sign up at heartbabythemovie.com because it's slowly going around to theaters. It just left Pennsylvania and it's going to show in upstate New York in April. It's like doing this small little theater run. And now um, I'm noticing, which is what me and my producer, Sean, uh, had dreamed of our various theaters and communities bring it to their to their community and use it to accentuate or help whatever label they put onto it if that makes sense like there's sure. one that that's going up and they're raising money for prison reform and there's another one that's using it for child uh, child abuse awareness for child uh, for sexual abuse awareness month because um, George the boxer had been abused as a child by a pedophile who ended up going to prison. That's a whole other theme. And um, so that's that's really, really cool. That, that for me is very f- fulfilling, like that they're using the movie to, you know, they're raising money for their child advocacy center, which is like, oh, it's like that's the world of my documentary. So it's kind of like my worlds are colliding now, which is right. very cool. And then we're waiting on our VOD dates and we don't have them yet. It's a, that's another thing. There's a whole, whole, whole lot of waiting. It's like, hurry, hurry, hurry up and then wait, hurry up and wait. It's just, ugh. tell us what a VOD date is. Oh, sorry. A video on demand. Uh, oh, VOD. VO- I'm sorry. My fault. VOD. That's okay. So, uh, so that's when it goes to, cause usually it's theaters and then VOD, which is video demand. So like if you had spectrum or time Warner or whatever you have on your TV, which, by the way, that and actually purchasing it on Amazon are the ways that the filmmaker actually will see a dollar or so. I don't, you know, or whatever. It's, so I, I've instead of renting now, if I really like a movie, I'll actually purchase it on on my TV or down or actually purchase it on Amazon. Is my favorite way to do it so, because I know now that it that the filmmaker or the producers will actually make they'll actually see a profit. So that's our call to action for, for people that are, um, that are listening that want to, you know, support creative people that are doing great work, that are doing original work. This is not, you know, yet another superhero movie. This is totally, you know, original concept and, and execution go. We want to purchase this on Amazon, uh, if possible, and help support Angela because she's out there fighting the good fight as I as I see it, and there's not uh, and there's not a whole lot of people that are that are doing it these days. Oh man, <laughs> it's like that's a nice way to see it. Like the good fight or run in the race, and you want people like along the side of the race, to, like hand you water and a sandwich. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> It helps. Like, here's a water. Love you. <laughs> Keep going. Well, can I have it, a kind bar with chocolate? <laughs> Angel, it's been a real pleasure. And I want to thank you so much for, uh, for sitting with us today. We're going to link in the show notes to your website. And also we will link to the film, uh, on, on Amazon. So people can support you that way. Oh yeah. Well, it's not up yet on Amazon. So I'd, I'd go, um, the heart baby, the movie.com. Okay. Well, that's where we will send everyone. So sweet ever. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks again. And you know, do let's do this again at some point later on when, when other projects, uh, yes. Are, are, are my, underway or about movie. to come out. Yeah. My golf movie will come out later this year. And also I would love to honestly know from your audience, like your filmmakers, like what would they, what do they most need to know? You know, cause it, it depends on where on the path you are mm-hmm. is what your questions are. You know what I mean? Yep. It could be like, Oh, how do you, you know, <laughs> deal with the legalities? How do you deal with your distributor? How do you deal? You know, there's a whole bunch of questions. I appreciate you for putting it out there. Well, this has been, I, I can, I know on behalf of a, just of the, a few people that I know personally, um, this has been quite an education or will be uh, for, for the listeners. And this is, this is awesome because you can't, 
uh, one cannot get your perspective reading, you know, reading articles on the internet or, um, you know, you, you need somebody that has lived it and, you know, is willing to, to share some time and, and energy to uh, help educate everybody. Awesome. Thank you. Anytime. All right. Thanks, Angela. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Creator Confidential. To get future episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or follow the show on SoundCloud. For updates about future podcast episodes, essays, or live events, just text the word CREATOR to 66866. That's CREATOR to 66866. You can also visit us on the web, Twitter, or Facebook. Creator Confidential is a production of Force 10 Media and the Tuck Law Offices.